Welcome to Purpose 360. I'm Carol Cohn. And I'm Chris Noble. And we're on a journey to explore the brightest and most innovative minds and initiatives in social purpose. Today, companies and brands must stand for something meaningful. They have to have a social purpose and bring that purpose forward to their employees, their customers, and their community. Each episode, we're talking to leaders at Fortune 100 companies, global brands, social enterprise startups, NGOs, and everything in between. We'll be taking a deep dive to learn how they are integrating purpose into their organizations. To benefit both business and society for enduring impact. Join us. P&G is one of the oldest companies that I believe we've interviewed for Purpose 360. They were founded in 1837, and they have a beloved breadth of products, everything from Tide to Cascade to Dawn, Oral-B, Ivory, Pepto-Bismol. The list goes on and on. I think at first count, I had about 10 of the products in my house. P&G has gone on this incredible journey to bring purpose to the center of the business. And they express it in so many ways. They want to have an impact on culture. And because they're very data-driven, before they determine what issue to adopt for their brands or the business, they conduct 360 degrees of research to truly understand what is the need for a consumer what are the values that are relevant in a PNG product and in a consumer's life? In their current CEO letter, David Taylor says the following about how they have brought purpose into their business. They call it citizenship. We've built citizenship into our business, and it's not only doing good, it's building trust and equity with consumers and driving growth and value creation, allowing us to be a force for good and a force for growth. The force for good and force for growth concept is important. We serve shareholders and investors, but we also serve employees, business partners, suppliers, community, governments, and the broader world around us. We have a responsibility to all our stakeholders. That's why our citizenship platform is built in, not bolted on. Built in, not bolted on. It's one of my favorite phrases. It's not a separate thing that we do on the side, he continues in its letter. It's how we do business every day around the world. Our conversation today with Damon Jones, the newly promoted Chief Communications Officer for PNG, talks about their culture, talks about their use of data, talks about their commitment to advocacy and to all their stakeholders. It's a fabulous conversation, one that I hope you will listen to in its entirety. So much to learn. I always like to start with the numbers. So P&G may be the oldest company that we've ever interviewed on Purpose 360. They were founded in 1837. They're headquartered in Cincinnati. Their revenues in 2019 were almost $68 billion. 
They have almost 100,000 employees around the globe. And of course, they're a publicly held firm. Let's start, Damon, with you've been with the company over two decades. You've had a variety of roles. So how have your roles evolved as the company's commitment to society and purpose has evolved? As I think about my time uh, at PNG, uh, like many people, we started off focusing in one, one or two brands and one or two geographies. Uh, I started off my career working on Tide and Downey uh, here in the U.S., as well as supporting our Canadian and, and um, business. Um, and so, uh, you know, over time, I think we've seen the uh, the appeal of our brands go, grow and the complexity of our business grows. Um, and what I would say as it relates to, to purpose, um, you know, CSR used to be the job of a few people. Uh, and it's really transitioned from the job of the few to the, to the job of the many. And it's really core to the work that we do, uh, whether you're in an office, whether you're in a lab, or whether you're in one of our manufacturing plants. Um, it, it's transformed into a fundamental part of our employee value proposition. I mean, people now want to work for a company um, that operates um, transparently and ethically. Uh, so it, it is not just something that was a nice to have. Um, we view, you know, purpose. Uh, and really, you know, transparency as table stakes. Uh, it's what enables us to serve consumers well. Uh, and it is what enables us to retain employees uh, as well as grow and develop them. So on your website, you have right on the first page that P&G will be a force for good and a force also for growth. Can you talk about why you have both and why it's important to have that stated purpose right up front in your core communications. Well, I, I think for us, citizenship is what we call it, is we define it as part of our business. It's not something that's extra or that comes on top. And so when we look at, you know, going beyond just doing good things in the communities where we live and work, um, you know, there's a direct link with building trust and equity with our consumers, right? And when you do that, you can drive growth and value creation for your shareholders. Um, so it is kind of the yin and the yang, um, you know, that, that you need both, right? If you're, if you're all about good um, and not necessarily growing the bottom line, then, then you're a charity, uh, right? And so we know that um, sustainability of the great work that we do in communities um, and sustainability of the great work that we do for our consumers and for our employees all need to happen day in, day out, year in and year out. Um, and so for us, um, it's not just about, you know, a, you know, a program here or there. It's about finding the models that benefit our consumers um, because we're providing great products that they, that they want and love um, and that provide a great impact to, to communities, but doing so in a way that everyone benefits, right? So when we have a more equal and diverse society, for example, um, that's good for not just our business, it's good for the cities that we live in, it's good for society um, broadly. Um, so we take a, a take a view when we think about citizenship and purpose that we're always going for a win-win-win, right? It's not about um, just what is good for one audience. It's really got to be something sustainable. It's got to be something um, that has long-term benefit um, because that is um, how we do it year in and year out. And it's how it's, you know we sustain it and how we bring others with us along that journey. We had the wonderful opportunity when I was the cone of cone to work with PNG um, about 2007, 2008 to create the platform Live, Learn and Thrive. 
And, you know, that was in the earlier days of citizenship and social purpose. Was there a tipping point at PNG where you really hunkered down and got committed to this philosophy of putting citizenship, or we call it purpose, at the center of your business? You know, I think there have always been elements that were there, right? I think, you know, there were times when, um, you know, we might have had a little too much focus on one element uh, or another. But to go back to the force for good, force for growth, I think, you know, over the past, um, you know, three or four years, we've really found our stride. um, And frankly, how we've been able to articulate and show um, that doing the right thing is good for the bottom line, right? And what's, you know, good for the bottom line um, benefits the communities, right? So for us, it, it really is about trying to just find those integrated wins, right? So for us, I mean, we look at, uh, even on, on our brands, we look at what we call, you know, four, you know, four brand fundamentals that take it from a, a nice to have to a must to have, right? So um, P&G makes its mark in the market um, by providing, you know, truly superior performing products, right? Uh, and that means the product is, you know, Ty's got to clean and smell good and do everything better than its next best competitor, um, or we won't have a business very long, right? But beyond just doing that, we're looking at how do we build in innovations fundamentally into the products, right? So yes, it'd be great if Tide came in a recycled package, right? That's No one would disagree with that. But what we've elevated it to is to say is, how do we make Tide in a more sustainable way? And how do we make using Tide, frankly, sustainable? So the fact that we've innovated and made Tide um, able to work effectively in a lower temperature means that every time a consumer uses it, they're having a positive impact on the environment through responsible consumption. Um, we've also pursued areas when it comes to our brand communication, right? So yes, it's great when companies do PSAs to drive awareness of a specific topic. A lot of these, uh, a lot of that you see right now going on with COVID-19. Um, but diversity and inclusion is also an important part of that. So we don't go off and say, hey, we need to do a commercial just about diversity and inclusion. Every time you see an ad from a company, we want to make sure that it not only uh, reflects all people, but it reflects them accurately and positively, right? So there are big things and there are little things that we can do in the course of our day-to-day business that are having a positive impact. And I think that is what separates um, a a lot of, uh, I think, what we're doing just from companies who are throwing lots of money at a big program and then moving on to the program, uh, a different program the next year. Um, It's got to be fundamental. Uh, and it's got to be a part of your DNA. It's got to be rooted in the foundations in order to work. Absolutely. If it's not, people will sniff out authenticity mm-hmm. very quickly. That's right. right. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you go back when you saw, uh, you know, a number of the brands that were promoting, you know, gender equality a few years uh, ago in the Super Bowl. Uh, and then consumers rightly went to their website and said, well, let me look at the management of that company. Wow. You know, if, if you really are, you know, a 90% male run company, you know, are you really an advocate of gender equality? So that's why you've got to be transparent. Doesn't mean you need to be perfect, um, but you've got to be honest about where you're at. And then, you know, I think when you talk about your commitment to doing better, uh, it will be a lot more palatable. Yeah, and and that's the difference between you know telling your story and living your story, right? And and one of the things that I you know just looking at the history of PNG and especially in the last really 10, 15 years, I think you guys have done a great job living your story at the top level but also in reflecting that in individual brands as it goes by. So you've got a story around the brand that's still rooted in the foundation. 
I would say, Damon, that, you know, whenever I'm giving speeches and presentations, I am always talking about your amazing programs. First, I want to ask about, again, it's about the evolution of your approach to being a good citizen and how it's come to the center of your business and how you and Mark Pritchard, since you are now chief communications officer and he's chief brand officer, you've both been there for decades how you work together and how this evolution and the dance to be integrated and authentic, a force for good and growth, how that's evolved. Cause I'm sure our listeners, they wish that they could have that sort of integrated effort. What I'd say is we're really clear that we can't talk the talk unless we walk the walk. Um, and so I'm fortunate enough to have great partners with, with Mark, but, but all of our business unit CEOs, um, that really realize um, that this is what is going to help make us a sustainable uh, and fact a superior company um, versus um, versus our competitors. Uh, and I don't say that to say that you know we we do it strictly to be better. We do it because it's the right thing to do. Um, but it, it's got to be um, uh, fundamental and core, right? And so a lot of the discussions that that relate um, to the programs that we talk about don't actually start off at as program discussions. They start off as business or strategy discussions. Communications becomes one way and one tactic in which we achieve some of these, right? So um, I think that keeps us honest. I mean, I, I can relate to, uh, you know, probably like many, many PR people. There are times when you probably get asked by your multifunctional colleagues, hey, you know, I've got a shiny new widget. You know, can you go off and get me some impressions for it? Um, you know, can you get me an article in the Wall Street Journal for that? Um, and w- what I say is the first question shouldn't be, well, that's a good story or that's a bad story. The first question should be, tell me more about your strategy. Why is that the right strategy for a business? Why is that the right strategy for your brand? Are we really doing this in a meaningfully distinctive way? Um, are we having meaningful impact? And if you spend enough time in the core strategy of what you're trying to achieve, the communication slip for that becomes uh, a hell of a lot easier, right? Um, so, you know, it, it's not about the communication it's about the strategy, number one. And number two, I think we're really clear on the impact that we want to have, right? There, there are times when um, it is appropriate for the brand or the company to be the hero. But what we found is increasingly, the more we can provide context for how the programs and efforts that we do benefit everyone in our ecosystem, we find much better receptivity for the program and much better communications and receptivity among media and among people in social media, right? Um, and, and so, uh, again, you've really got to focus on getting the meat right because that's what leads to some of the great communication. You know, a, a great example of that would be some of the work that we've done in trying to increase the diversity in the creative ecosystem. Um, you know, P&G has long been an advocate of saying, um, hey, you know, we need to be doing more in gender and race and LGBTQ. Um, but one of the things that we recognize is when we were looking at even um, our own advertising, you know, we had to have that, you know, that man in the mirror moment to say, well, are we doing anything right? So it started with a hard look and saying, you know what, when we're talking about doing the dishes, right? Are we only showing women in those commercials? Are we only showing women doing the laundry? Um, and so we had to get real honest about the stories that we were telling. And one of the ways in which, um, you know, you, you get true and authentic stories is by having the right diversity of people behind the camera, right? So we recognize that we didn't have nearly, and we still don't have nearly as many uh, people of color, nearly as many women 
directing the ads that we put on TV every day. Great. Let's fix that problem because if you fix that problem at the core, you'll get better stories at the end, right? You simply just can't write a good, good script and then fall down in all of those areas, right? So that's another example of where the ecosystem that you're operating in um, has to be has to be great. And oh, by the way, you know our most representative ads, some of our ad campaigns that have been directed by women, are some of the best performing ad campaigns that we have, right? So it's not about uh, an element of charity. When you do the right thing, you know, the, the, the right thing will happen to your business. So why do you think those women behind the camera created a more or in the creative side of the storyline? Why do you think they were more effective? Well, I mean, I think anytime you have a diverse set of people bringing lots of ideas to the table, um, you're going to get a better outcome. Right. Um, and so, you know, when we sit around and um, when we do any piece of, of advertising, we try to deliberately, deliberately look around the room and say, what point of view is not represented? And that can be a gender. It can be a political leaning. It can be a geographic leaning. Uh, it can be in, any nature of those things. Right. So you've got to step back and say, who's not represented and where that point of view, where that point of view is not represented. You've got to find a way to go off and get that and build that into your ecosystem. Uh, and we've even had that on some of the, the diversity aimed work, uh, diversity theme work that we've done. We did a, a project called The Look, um, you know, last year. And it was interesting. We got into a discussion as we were working that and we looked around the room and it was only black people in the room talking about this. And we said, wait a minute, how can we get this right if you've only got, you know, the black perspective represented, right? So we had to do some deliberate things to make sure at the very fundamental levels, we had the right diversity, right? So it cuts all ways. Um, but the, but to answer your question, Carol, I think you get more more robust uh, insights, and then you've got to have people that are willing to say, "Hey, I'm not sure this is the reflection of my life, right?" Or here's a different way to look at that. Um, and I think we just you know we've um, taken steps to ensure that people know that that type of perspective is not just um, it's not just okay, but it's welcome, right? Creating the space for perhaps dissenting or alternate points of view. Uh, and what our CEO calls the better third way, it's not your way or my way, it's the better third way, um, finding ways to deliberately bring those discussions into what we do. That's a very flexible culture. And and I recall decades ago, you know, people, if you wanted to be the best MBA and brand manager, you'd go to P&G and you would be lockstep into a process and a lot of number crunching. It sounds like you have dramatically, not sounds like, we, I've seen just as a communicator, as, as I love your programs. I mean, like, always like a girl. I talk about that all the time. Years ago, Tide Loads of Hope, fantastic. Um, you know, uh, Pampers, One Pack, One Vaccine, one of the early just amazing programs. How did the culture shift at PNG that went from the rigidity to this forward-thinking flexibility and inclusion I think it's a both and, right? So to be clear, we are still incredibly data driven, right? Um, but it's not data only, right? Data um, complements insights to get to great communication. Um, and so what we recognize is, is we, you know, A.G. Lackley was uh, a big proponent of, of the phrase consumers the boss, right? Um, and, and really trying to think through what is the perspective of the consumer that's in the room. So for each of our brands, as you're thinking about um, who the consumer is you're trying to solve, um, we really had a, a prototypical consumer. You know, she might be a mother 
family of two with the, you know, young children at home, um, working in a job or whatever it might be. But we try to look through everything and say, you know, what would that consumer think of this? And in many instances, we actually created a cutout of a consumer, um, put it in the room, um, put some notes up. Uh, so we immersed ourselves, not just in her functional role as a person doing laundry, but her role as a mother, uh, as a, you know, as a, as a family member, as a businesswoman, right? And then tried to get the balance in that, right? So yes, you know, we want to know how many times she does laundry, what are the loads and when does she shop and how does she shop? But when you can be contextually relevant and understand everything going on in her life, you get better insights and your communication will have, will have a higher bar. Um, so it's a complement to the data. Um, number one, not a replacement. And then number two, what I would say is, um, I think we, we just have to have a, a, a culture that's committed to learning and committed to continuing to ask the question. Uh, even when something is working well, we will spend as much time dissecting why it's working well not just spending the same amount of time on something when it's not working well, right? So understanding what are the core drivers um, we have internally, what we call a brand building framework, which is the set of questions that we ask ourselves to make sure that we're paying attention to the right insights and the right data. So really using that rigor uh, as well as the insights and combining them um, through a diverse organization, I think leads to breakthrough. So I want to, I want to, Break that down just a little bit more because I, I think the the data driven insight point is is really well taken and I think that that you know, that's the thing companies are trying to do right. What are the bits of data that tie to our core values that lead us to the right insight to make the right move? But how about the the outcome side of that? So when you're when you're talking about being data driven and marrying that with the insight in your social impact work and when you're thinking about being a good community actor. How does that affect how you're measuring the outcomes? Like, so what, what measurements are important to you? How are you doing that? How do the outcomes then reflect back on the programming? It is. I mean, what I would say, particularly in the purpose-driven work that we do, we are also mindful of what are the short-term impacts mm-hmm. and what are the long-term impacts. If you think back to the Gillette campaign that we ran a little bit more than uh, a year ago, um, we received an intense amount of negative or critical feedback. Um, people said, oh, wow, P&G just shut up and sell razors. Um, you could look at, um, for a large part of the campaign, um, the amount of uh, negative uh, thumbs down that we got on YouTube, then got on the thumbs up. And, and what we recognize is those were outcomes, but it wasn't the data alone that we were looking at, right? We went and, and looked at a barrage of data, um, four or five different studies, to really understand that the social media sentiment was not necessarily reflective of the broad consumer sentiment. Um, and so, you know, some of those lessons we, we've known over time, some we had to learn the hard way. So what I would say is, um, you know, not every piece of data in and of itself is conclusive, that you really need to look over a body of evidence um, to say, hey, what's the long-term impact? Um, and you need to look at that impact within your target market and beyond your target market, both short-term and long-term. Um, what we later learned on that campaign is that we actually made more friends than foes, even though um, the social media dynamics and the, the typical things that you look at, such as sentiment monitoring, didn't tell that story. Um, and so I think some of this is when you're really clear on the why, um, you know, um, you're able to hold true uh, and weather some of those storms. We had similar um, uh, issues when we did the talk a few years ago. 
we got a ton of negative impact. But what we recognize is that was driven really um, out of a handful of communities that people got riled up from a semi-political perspective. Um, when you talk to more, when you talk to most consumers, and you say, "Let me tell you this story about a mom who wants to do the best for her child," um, and you tell them about the story, everyone almost uni- universally agrees with that. Then you put an issue of race on that, and then you get into some slightly different metrics because everyone approaches that somewhat different, right? But when you can find the commonalities in those stories, a mom that wants the best for her child, a consumer who wants the best for the environment for a future generation, when you can find out what uh, it is that drives people and then make sure that you're linking your campaign to those core common drivers as opposed to where the social media mob is going, um, you'll, you'll, you'll develop the institutional fortitude to withstand some of those storms and come out better on the other end. And, and I love, Damon, in an article that you had a Q&A, you said in terms of your advocacy work, it's you said getting everyone to engage is the goal, but you don't have to agree. Absolutely. Look at the state of the world and you can find few things that people agree on. Um, and the fact that, you know, you could have one politician say something uh, and it can be something as simple as the sky is blue. You know, um, there are going to be some people who are going to take issue with that. Right. And so keeping everyone happy has never been the goal. Um, I, I think we look at this as a, a journey of progress. Right. We want people to engage. We want people to reflect. We want people to, um, you know, come away from our programs and our communication um, better uh, or at least more reflective than they, than they perhaps started. Um, and that is the goal itself, right? I mean, we do believe that, you know, you know, as one of the world's largest advertisers, we have a unique um, position to spark conversation, but we want to do that in a constructive way that leads to dialogue. That dialogue leads to understanding and that understanding leads to broad behavior change. Um, and I think you can look at any, um, you know, large scale movement, whether you look at a, a topic like uh, environmental sustainability or gay marriage, it's taken people time to get through the funnel. Right. Part of what drove that change here in the U.S. is the ability for people to relate to someone um, who was on the LGBT spectrum and then say, I want that person to be happy. Right. And if you can say, hey, I want Damon to be happy or I want Mary to be happy, then guess what? You know, it, it takes a little bit of the sting out of whether this group of people should have that right. Right. And so that's a little bit of the, the journey that we're on. Um, is that we do think at the end of the day, we want um, a more equal world, right? Equal voices, equal opportunity, equal representation. Um, we're not going to get there in a straight line, but a lot of what we're doing is taking small chinks out of that armor time and time again. Um, that is going to open up minds and eventually change hearts. That's it's an incredibly admirable and leadership-oriented position that, that um, I- I'm not so sure that that many people, at least in the purpose world, know your intentionality to really shift society. You know, that's what struck me so strongly about PNGN and the constant innovation you're bringing to your programmatic work, your desire to create movements of change, significant change. Yeah, well, it's that. Um, and we can both accomplish that broader goal and um, engage consumers in a way that grows our business, right? So you go back to force for good, force for growth. You know, two thirds of consumers 
then they're more likely to buy a brand that shares their values. The, the numbers go even higher when you start engaging millennials and Gen Z consumers, right? Um, you know, hey, if I'm going to buy your brand, I want to know what's the company behind it. I want to know your track record. Uh, I want to know how you act in moments of crisis. All of those things hold true, right? So these are, these are moments of truth for P&G and for P&G brands. So we look at every opportunity um, that we have as a moment of truth for us to live out our values um, because that's what our consumers are telling us that they want. They're not necessarily saying, hey, I want to agree with you on every single thing, but I want you to have a point of view. Um, I want you to express a point of view and I want you to engage with me in a meaningful and constructive way. Again, not 100% of consumers and not on every topic, but what are the topics that certain brands have a right to play in? Um, and making sure that we're having that authentic voice each and every time that we do that. Uh, and let me tell you, there have been programs and ideas that we've thought of that we've not pursued because it wasn't right. We didn't have an authentic point of view uh, and consumers may not have been receptive to that, right? So another important part of this is, you know, doing the sensing, doing the data and having enough conversations with potential adversaries from stakeholders and influencers to know that you've got a right to play, right? And so these aren't topics. When you look at areas that we um, have done campaigns over the past year, use race, use gender, use people with disabilities, we just don't pop up one day and say, hey, we want to do a gender campaign. We've been doing the work for so long that gives us the right to talk about it, not because we're perfect, but because we're making progress. And because you're engaged, right? You, you, you're not shying away. You, you're deciding whether or not you have a voice on a particular thing, but you're not shying away from it in any case, which is great. Now, I think the other thing to, to your point, Chris, is um, we're very clear that we are far from perfect, right? I mean, we have a goal to get to um, 50% um, male-female representation at every level of our company. I can tell you exactly where that number stands right now. It's, uh, it's rounding up to 48%, right? That's not green on our scorecard, right? Um, and so we're very mindful of 50 50 is the goal. 47%, 48% is really good because it's much better than where we were five years ago. That's right. But every employee at PG knows that's where we're going. We do the same thing on race. You know, our CEO gets up every 18 months or so and he puts up the data in a global webcast to say, here's how we're doing on representation of underrepresented minorities. By level, here's where we're promoting, here's where we're trading. That level of transparency builds so much trust and confidence um, that we're doing the right thing to make the progress, but allows us to pinpoint um, where we're not doing so that we can focus in on it, right? And so it's not about being perfect, um, but it is about knowing where you're at on that journey um, so that you can be honest with yourself uh, and then be honest with the people that you're serving. Be present, not perfect. Exactly. That's the way I do it. Exactly. You know, with all of that as a base, right? I mean, and actually I think this has been a really good conversation so far because we've talked about the foundational elements and the core elements and how they fit your culture and your direction, right? All that's very strategic. So now when you have something like a COVID-19 come up, you have to say, okay, great. We have to respond. You, you can't be, you can't be inactive in that moment. So how do you take your strategic stance and map it against the moment so that you can respond authentically in the moment to things like this? There has to be harmony when you think about um, moments of crisis and what your enduring values are, right? So if I think about the, the priorities that we've set out during COVID-19, um, protecting the health and well-being of our people, 
serving consumers around the world who, who count on the brands um, that we provide and then serving communities um, um, that we're a part of. Part of the reason I think we've been able to move clearly, quickly, and confidently is because those are outgrowths of, what, of, of our company's values and principles, right? So, uh, you know, every time you, you, have, you go into a P&G building, you'll see our PVPs, we call them up on the, uh, on, the, uh, on the wall. You'll see them on the back of the badge that you get when you walk around our, build, our, our buildings. Um, and a lot of that, um, so, so there's a harmony. The, the immediate crisis response, therefore, becomes a how and not a what, right? So we've always said, um, you know, the most important asset that we have in our company is the people. What's our number one priority in a COVID response? Protecting the health and well-being of PNG people, right? So we immediately, you know, moved to work from home and we immediately, uh, for, for, you know, started giving our people in the plants PPE because that was consistent with our values. Um, so it simply became the next thing in a chain of things that we were doing. We were able to mobilize um, support through a number of NGOs um, very quickly. Why? Because those were relationships that we've had for decades, right? Um, and so they knew who to call. We already had the shipping lanes open uh, for the products that we needed to do. So it was more a connect the dots. Now, not trying to figure out what pipes therefore need to exist. Uh, and it even comes down to the consumers, right? I mean, consumers trust PNG brands because you know we do what the what the product says you know it does on the label and we do it better than anyone else right and so we we started from what i would call a high trust relationship which allowed us to move quickly um and very and, and very you know and very confidently in in what it is that we needed to do and i think it helped build the trust that we were a company that wanted to support people when they needed the most because we were there yesterday they know we're here today they know we're going to be here tomorrow um, and so, you know, as it relates to a lot of the purpose work, um, one of the things that's not helpful and what you won't see from us is a lot of, I call it program hopping. Oh, you know, this brand is after, you know, orphans this year and after the environment this year and after race next year, right? Finding those areas where we can make a difference. Um, and sometimes that means admitting what we can't do and making some of those choices. Um, but again, moments of crisis, um, you know, reveal underlying character. Managing an organization that large and a communication structure that large, what does the command and control look like such that your individual brands are able to respond so rapidly? Because it, was, it wasn't just P&G, right? It was at the brand level, you were responding really quickly to this. Yeah, we've activated more than 30 brands in 30 different countries to respond in some way, shape, or form um, uh, to the COVID-19 uh, crisis. And we're partnering with more than 200 different organizations around the world. So we operate off of a set of core principles, right? So we understand what our priorities are, um, you know, people, consumers, communities, um, but we're really clear on what the principles are, right? Um, so, you know, to the degree that we can leverage um, our expertise, our marketing and our manufacturing facilities, that's what we're doing, right? So in, in a matter of days, we were able to transform and set up lines to, um, to manufacture hand sanitizer. Um, we have a plant here in the U.S., in Kansas City that's shutting down um, at the end of June. Um, but instead of making that plant idle, we've moved it to start manufacturing surface disinfectant that's been shipped out to hospitals uh, around the country. Um, um, you know, our, our China organization recognizing that we make diapers and we have filtration technology immediately began to modify that equipment to make masks um, given the, the need for personal protective equipment. So I think what it reveals to me is when you set up the right principles, um, 
um, when you have um, united values, it's something that you don't have to have someone in the C-suite saying, go do this. The vast majority of our response has been um, uh, enabled by people who are on the front lines, people who are on our plants and our distribution centers uh, in our, in our uh, subsidiaries around the world. Their ideas that they're saying that says, hey, I've got an asset, uh, I've got a resource that can be put to good use. What are the principles by which we needed to do that? Um, we're very clear on the decision authority and people can move very quickly. Certainly, we're making sure that, you know, we're not doing every possible thing, that we're doing that in balance with serving our core consumers and protecting our people. Um, but I, I think it speaks to, um, you know, the quality of people that we have and the environment that our leadership has created um, that people, you know, want to step up um, and that they know they'll be, you know, rewarded for the ideas and for the execution. And, and also, how do you feel about returning to work? Obviously, you've been involved in those conversations. And since you are so people-oriented um, and purpose is embedded deeply into your culture and, op- and operations, um, what will uh, that return to work look like, if you even have a, a point of view right now? We've not stopped working, right? I think what COVID-19 has challenged us to do is to work in different ways, right? But if you think about, you know, we've got uh, upwards of 150 different manufacturing facilities around the world in our network um, and enforce. Most of them continue to operate. Uh, if anything, we've actually had to increase production of P&G products around the world to meet, you know, the, the, the demand and the need, particularly for, for cleaning health and hygiene products. Um, and so, you know, our, our people at the plant have found, you know, really, you know, innovative ways to do to do what they need to do. Um, we've moved to um, around the clock shifts so that we can have appropriate um, social distancing. Um, we've moved to different ways of packaging and doing certain uh, activities so that, again, we can uh, increase production without creating additional risk for PMG people. Um, you know, we've had to find new ways to get our products out, right? So uh, in some parts of the world, normally products travel from a plant to a distribution center, to a distribution center of a retailer, then to the store. We cut out a number of those steps in the process to speed up production um, in, in some cases. So a return to work um, is actually probably, you know, something that less than half the PNG people are thinking about in terms of returning to a workplace. Um, uh, you know, obviously for people... Uh, like me, who could do my work from home, um, the other benefit of technology, uh, then that's what we're doing. And and all, over time, um, as uh, you know, local laws and regulations loosen, uh, and as we can do it safely, um, we will return more people to some of our workplaces. Right, whether that's a plant, whether that's a, a lab, whether that's an office, um, we'll do so safely. But I think the the, the chassis on which we've built, um, you know, mass temperature checks, screening, you know, giving people great benefits. So, to, so they, they know they get paid leave, right? So one of the things that we made very clear, hey, if you don't feel well, there's no pressure for you to come into this to, to this place because it's not good for you. It's not good for your family. It's not good for anyone else, um, right? So, so some of those long-term, um, again, core values that we, we find are benefiting us uh, in, in a time of need like okay. this. Tremendous ap- approach. Um, I'd like to take the innovation that you applied to your response to COVID-19 and, and go back to some of your core purpose programs. One of my favorites is your assisted razor um, for assisted shaving. Can you talk a little bit about where that came from? 
Um, actually, the spot that you created was, a, a, you know, three-generation family of, of men that was so perfect and real. Um, it, it just, it always gives me chills. Yeah, well, um, you know, Gillette Trio um, is the first razor designed to shave someone else. If you think about, um, you know, Gillette being a brand that's been around since 1901, um, you know, King Steve Gillette's original safety razor is still actually used in many different parts of the world. Um, but but I think the insights come um, not only for Trio, but for many of our products because we spend a lot of time uh, in consumer homes. Um, and we spend a lot of time talking to people, not just about um, what they can do and how they can do it better, but why they do it, right? And so, you know, whenever we're in consumer homes, we're, we're getting all of these insights, right? And, and so the insight that, um, you know, hey, I, I love this product and I want a product if it could only do this, right? Um, and what we found is when we were in um, um, some homes of some of our target users for Trio is that there was such incredible passion for being able to serve um, consumers, right? Um, and I think that's the inspiration um, that the Trio team took back. Um, I mean, the technology, if you will, is very simple. The technology in Trio has um, been around in the cupboards of, of Gillette for some time. It was the combination of putting them together in a way in which we were very clear on who we wanted to serve. And that was caregivers, right? And that can be elderly. It can be people with special needs. It's a wide variety of things. But when you um, essentially empower people to come up with great ideas, I think that's the, um, that's the power, right? I mean, when you look at people who say, hey, give me, um, just give me a roadmap, give me some guardrails. And if the guardrails are to serve consumers uh, and to create as many ideas as we can, um, you know, a business model will follow, right? And, and so we don't start with what's the business model and how many of these can we make? We start with um, serving consumers and then getting those product ideas into marketplace. So a lot of P&G products that you know, whether it's Gillette Trio or any of the new products that we've introduced um, over the past many years, they start in small scale tests. And we give it to um, you know 20 consumers or 100 consumers, and we just talk to them about how they use it, why they use it, what they'd like to be better. That's where a lot of the insight came from, right? And then you take that inspiration going back to a, a very small team um, um, split between Boston and the UK um, and, and the rest is history, right? Um, but again, at the core of that was, um, again, a real focus on serving consumers, um, putting together the right technologies. Um, and then the storytelling, you know, obviously is a, is a bonus on top. I mean, trying to create an emotive ad um, that heroes the caregiver um, and the product is a strong supporter. And I think that's sometimes something that we in our industry um, don't always get right. Um, we, we sometimes want to be the hero. Uh, and what we've realized in a lot of this work, the hero isn't a, a brand. The hero is not P&G. The hero is the consumers whose lives that we can make better, right? And we really center um, on those heroes. And that enables us to, to just think about the proposition in a very different way. It's how the brand makes you feel, ultimately, right, that, that wins the consumer over. We've spent a lot of time talking about the consumer and the culture and employee fit and how the, the people part of your business fits together. I want to just touch a little bit on the things part, too, because your commitment to sustainability and the way your CSR kind of feeds into your supply chain, I, I think really comes from those same core values. But can you talk to that a little bit? Just kind of what role uh, a 
supply chain responsibility plays in being a purpose-driven company? And then how do you, how do you identify those stories and, and get them in front of your employees and your external audiences too? A few years ago, we launched a program called Ambition 2030. And Ambition 2030 laid out a number of broad areas where um, P&G and P&G brands wanted to have an impact. One of the unique things I think about that is we asked every employee to think about what was the difference that they can make in their area of responsibility. Um, and so if you're a brand manager, it might look one way. If you're an engineer, it may look another way. If you're working in our plant, it looks, uh, it looks another way. And, and I think this is a testament again to, to our, to our supply chain people who, who think, um, you know, day in and day out about the facilities in which they operate. Um, so, you know, we've long had, um, a commitment to it. I, I think what we find is that the creativity and innovation, um, of our people kind of come out when you empower them. Right. So the, the, the job and the task to figure out how do we operate more sustainably isn't held in a single department. It's everyone's job at that plant. Um, and so a lot of our ideas for how we um, apply things to, to our operations have started from people on the floors of our plants around the world. When they can figure out a better way to do something, um, then those ideas get funneled up and, and around management. And if we figure out something that's really working good at our plant in Beijing, we're going to reapply it to our plant in, in Bangkok and then eventually to our plant in Boston. So there's no pride on idea creation, um, but there is, you know, a lot of just desire to have um, the broadest impact possible. Um, but, but again, when you look at it, you know, energy, water, um, waste and climate are all areas that we focus on uh, from an environmental or environmental standpoint. Um, and again, we make some progress. I think one of the other things that helps us in this space is um, we are very um, target driven, right? So we've set some very bold goals in terms of what it is that we want to achieve, right? Um, and we have an aspiration never to send another piece of plastic to the landfill ever again, right? Well, that's going to lead to a lot of dis. Uh, discontinuous questions, right? So how do you think about packaging like that, right? Um, and and because, you know, your liquid tide has got to go into something. Um, and, and that just unleashes um, people to, to a variety of possibilities. We've now created a technology in the plastic space that takes impurities, odor, color, uh, other imperfections out of plastic um, so that they can be recycled again in almost like version quality because there's a lot of recycled plastic that doesn't have a market today. Right. And so more recycled plastic isn't the answer. You've got to create a circular economy. But those are the types of challenges that we talk very openly with our people about. Um, and then again, we put multifunctional teams on it. So it's not just a supply chain person. How do you connect in someone that's an expert in business models to a scientist in a lab to someone in the supply chain, really with the goal to say, hey, let's eliminate beach plastic. And then that's when we get um, more of the innovation and breakthrough. So a lot of it is the combination. Uh, of various uh, fields of expertise that we're able to bring together against some, you know, some big, hairy, audacious um, mm -hmm. uh, challenges or goals. We, we're unfortunately getting to the to the end of this conversation, Damon. It's been extraordinary. Um, we always like to ask our guests to provide two or three or four insights to listeners um, how to in enhance their purpose, how to make it more, um, maybe how to discover it, make it more impactful. Um, as PNG is just on an extraordinary um, path of engagement and impact. 
So any core insights you'd like to share? When it comes to purpose, the most important thing is that you begin that journey. Um, when I think about successful organizations and inclusive organizations, they're created by, by leaders who are in touch with really where they're at and what their blind spots might be. Um, and so really understanding and pursuing your blind spots, um, really because then you get to ask the question, who can help me achieve those blind spots, right? Um, and who can help me address them? Um, so which would lead to point number two is finding um, partnerships, uh, even in potential adversaries. I can tell you, I've learned a lot um, from organizations that have applied pressure to P&G, be it in the animal rights space, be it in the environmental space, in a number of spaces, um, because we find where that common ground is and we find common purpose in that, right? So we share uh, a common purpose to end animal research. Where we differ is in the how. But now that we know we're on the same team, on the same team we're going to get there a lot faster. Um, so that would be number two. And then I, I think number three, um, is, is progress, not perfection. Um, there is no perfect company. There is no perfect individual. Um, um, but I don't want to let people think that a fear of shortcomings uh, in what you have in your own house, um, uh, don't let that stop you from getting in the game. Be honest about where you're at. Be honest about where you go. Um, set some goals. Uh, and don't, don't be afraid to learn along the way. Um, I, I think this is, um, again, we're all trying to, to get better every step of the way. Um, but it's about progress, not about perfection. It's beautiful. I, I always like to also ask, who are your heroes in terms of just um, who've inspired you in business or in your philosophies or in purpose? I'm just curious. Who always like to get that kind of personal side of our guests? You know, one of the people that I learned a lot from um, um, was Reverend Leah Daughtry. Um, Leah was the CEO of the 2008 Democratic National Convention um, when I left PNG to work on that campaign. Um, and what I admired most about Leah was the way in which she integrated um, faith and politics, which can sometimes be a very tricky combination. Um, I, I thought she was a leader who always did the right thing, but had a gift of explaining why um, that brought people together, right? And I think about applying that to the business world. Um, again, we all want many of the same things. We differ in how we get there. But I think a unique role of leadership is to inspire people as to what can be achieved together, even in very difficult situations, and then bringing the right groups of people together uh, and sometimes not letting them out of the room until they can figure it out. So Lee is someone who I learned a lot watching up close and in, in years past from afar. Um, but, but to me, you know, people who can bring um, their whole selves, as, as is the, the current words, but right, you know, whether your faith, whether your values, your belief, however you define that, bringing that to your purpose work um, and really being grounded in that, I think, helps us, particularly in the communications field, become a rudder for our organizations, ensuring that we're making the right decisions and executing them uh, in the right way that builds trust. Um, and I think that's what I try to do every day. Well, you've had an amazing career. And again, congratulations on your promotion. You talk about a rudder. Um, I always talk about a deep keel. I, I think that um, you've grown up through the system. You've seen tremendous change. You uh, inspire so many people, Damon. So we're thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. I really appreciate the insight and especially just the, the grounding in the fundamentals that you guys have is really inspiring because that's where it's got to start. Thank you both for what you, what you guys do in, in telling powerful stories, bringing people together. Um, this is an area where I think 
there was a significant amount of benefit from cooperation and not competition. Uh, and the opportunity to share stories and lessons learned really does uh, make a difference along that journey. So thank you. Well, I'd just like to end with a question to our listeners. What is your purpose? <laughs>